Good evening, everyone. Happy, happy New Year. Uh, as is, uh, wow, this sounds really loud. Is this really loud? Am I loud? No? Okay. Um, as is a kind of a tradition at Missio Day, I get to, to uh, usher us out of an old year and uh, kind of introduce us, introduce us to the new year um, as an elder. So I, uh, it's, I've done the last sermon, I don't know, long time, I guess. So hopefully I have something uh, catchy for you tonight to remember. I want to kind of set up our worship uh, for 2024, some things to expect, some things that we can kind of rally around as a small church. So, uh, And I wanted to try to deliver it to you in a unique way that you will maybe, perhaps, remember, okay? Um, and uh, so uh, I have a couple of concepts and some things to throw at you. I have a little story from history so if you're a history buff, hopefully you'll enjoy tonight a little bit anyway. So if you want to doze off, that's fine, because I know some of you are going to be up till midnight. Okay, I got you. I will not be. Okay, old men don't do that. Um, so with that, how about if I open us up with a word of prayer? Uh, let's bow our heads before the Lord, close our eyes, let's quiet our hearts as I pray. God, I thank you for a year that we can look back on. I thank you for this season um, of holidays and of disrupted schedules and time off and just uh, a time that we can reflect on your goodness and your grace. I know things are hectic. I know that many of us don't feel well. There's a lot of colds and things going around. So I pray that you would help us for just this next little bit to focus on you and your principles and your word and your ways. And I pray that you would help us to understand that as we look forward to a new year, we can glean from the old and we can have hope in you in all things, regardless of where we find ourselves. So Father, I pray that you'd give us a special time tonight. As we end this year, we look forward to your blessings, your goodness, the hope that we can have in our hearts toward you for the next year. And I pray that you would guide us tonight, and I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. The title for tonight, and, and there are notes in, uh, in Slack, uh, so if you want to access them, feel free to do so. Uh, I don't have a lot of technology tonight. There are a lot of scripture verses, and I'm going to take it easy on Amy. We may look at maybe 40 of them instead of 80. But um, so we'll we'll get into that. So Ames, I am going to put a couple of them up on up on the thing. So um, I'm going to I did I, I told you I wasn't going to, but I I just didn't I wanted you engaged. So you have to pay attention. All right. <laughs> Here we go, Ames. This is what I'm going to do. If there's a Bible reference and it begins with the letter R, it'll be on the screen. How's that sound? <laughs> How many books of the Bible begin with R? Oh, no, there's one, huh? All right, that's, we could talk about that Wednesday night, all right? That, we could do that. We're not do that now. That's, just, that's a side note, okay? Um, all right, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, what are some words that are new words, okay, or new phrases that we don't, like, maybe use all the time? I've put some up there, but, it, but what comes to mind, a new word or phrase? It could be cultural. It could be just something that, you know, slang that uh, you greet each other with. You, you, you young people maybe do that. I don't know. That, you 
you have different ways all the time about you and words. What are some things that, uh, that are new? Like these words behind me, I never, had to, I never had to deal with when I was growing up. We're a young adult. We're an old adult. We're a semi-old adult, which is not quite an old man, which I am now. What are some words that maybe you have, to, you have in your vocabulary that you didn't have five, three, ten years ago? Jeff? Fact checking, okay. Right, right. What else? Bussum. What? What? Bussum. Bussum? Really? Okay. I I had no idea. See, I'm learning new words. Anybody else? Uh, <laughs> Riz. Riz. Anybody? Riz. Anybody? Can you spell that? R I Z Z. R-I-Z-Z. Mason says R-I-Z-Z. Riz. Okay, there you go. Riz. What does it mean? Is it like, should I not be saying? I have no idea. Throw me another word. What? Cap? C-A-P? Cap or no cap? What does that mean? Like capital letter or no capital letter? Oh, like a baseball cap. Okay. A truth or lie. A truth or a lie. Oh, wow. See, man, I, see, I don't know this stuff, all right? I just have no idea. Um, we, have, we have, like, a lot of stuff that I have to deal with now and keep up with that I can't keep up with anymore. So here's some of my words. Woke. All right, that's kind of an older word now, but it's, I didn't have to deal with it a decade ago. Uh, transgender was something that we, you know. All right, so this dates me, okay? A guy in my day that dressed up like a lady was called a transvestite. That's the only word we had, okay? Now we have transgender, okay? Um, Christian nationalism, that's one that's within, with, you know, Carpe Fide crowd talks about that quite a bit. Cocoa Melon. I grew up without Cocoa Melon. I had shows like Gilligan's Island and the Banana Splits. Wholesome. Made sense, almost, all right? Coco melon. Uh, diversity is a word that's just, you know, it's, wow, out there. Inclusion, gender identity, equity, um, hate speech, LGBTQRSTUV, etc. Okay, I didn't, we had no, we had no reference points for that type of thing in the, in the diverse terminologies that we had, we have now. It's so, the, that concept is so big, they've shortened everything to a letter and sandwiched everything together, right? Uh, puberty blockers. I hadn't, we, nope, when I was growing up, didn't know what they were, and I don't even think we had them available. But they're available now because of all of the other type of words we're dealing with. Uh, phrase, you do you. Ever heard of that? All right, that's an old one now, too, probably, because Riz is probably taking place in capital. Oh, boy, man, I'm learning stuff. I got to add to this. The word, a new word that we, we have, um, and, and maybe you're not real hip to the gig with it, it's old words, okay, is intersectionality, okay? Um, can anyone tell me what intersectionality is? Ever heard of that term? Ever heard of that word? Well, that's, yeah, two, two things crossing over is an intersection, right? Multiple, multiple avenues of diversity cross each other. Can you give me an example of intersectionality in our culture? Let's say that there is a black 
trans woman. In a Oh, in a wheelchair. Okay, you, you, get, you get it, all right? So we have all of these different kind of things that a person is, and they all cross each other into one person, right? Okay? And, the, and, and culturally, the more lines of intersection you have coming together in your life, um, culturally, the more relevant you could seem or be, or the more clout that you would have to, to speak into those things because you have all of these things intersecting. Is that fair? Is that okay? That, that, that's, that's kind of the, the cultural norm of what intersectionality means. But I wanted to talk to you tonight about biblical intersectionality, okay? And hopefully I have your interest a little bit. Now, I'm going to go back in history to, to lay the groundwork for biblical intersectionality, all right? Um, I'm going to go back a long time ago, uh, 123 years. I don't even know what's on. Okay, lessons from the SS Waramu, which is fun to say and not fun to say because it's kind of weird. Waramu. I think we should all say it together. Do you think we should say it together? No, we shouldn't. All right. <laughs> that was a resounding no. <laughs> wow. Okay. So uh, I'm going to read you uh, about the SS Waramu. Now, what do you think the SS Waramu is? Anybody have a guess? A milking vessel because of the moo? It was a wartime milking ship? Waramoo? Okay, all right, here we go. In the waning days of the 19th century, you'll have, to, you'll have to figure that out what year that is. In the waning days of the 19th century, a passenger steamer that was also a cargo ship uh, was crossing the Pacific Ocean en route from Vancouver, Canada to Sydney, Australia. Um, and it did a particular thing at a particular place at a particular time. If it wasn't for the last-minute decisions of the captain, we wouldn't have this story. So this is a very unique story, at least in my opinion. And right now, as the teacher, only my opinion counts. So hopefully you'll find this interesting too. Sometimes it just so happens that you recognize that you're in the right place at the right time by God's design. And this is exactly what happened to the US, or excuse me, the SS Waramu um, 123 years ago. It was launched, this, this ship was launched in 1882 uh, in England, where it was built. Uh, it was a passenger steamer that also carried cargo and refrigerated items. For back then, that was a big deal. And after multiple changes of ownership, uh, it, it eventually ended up in the hands of the new, excuse me, New Zealand and Australian Steamship Company. And they used the ship to go back and forth to shuttle passengers and goods from Sydney, Australia to Vancouver, Canada. Now, that's a very, very long distance. But that was the sole purpose of the SS Waramu. In 1899, the captain of the Waramu was Captain John Phillip. And on December 15th of 1899, the ship left Vancouver, Canada to head back to Sydney, Australia. The ship had on board 32 passengers. How many passengers did it have on board? Okay, you're still listening. 
About halfway through the journey, on a clear night with good weather, the ship's navigational officer performed a routine check of the location via stellar navigation. Now, I wanted to stop right there because I'm going to set some things up for you to, that you can understand. Um, I want you to picture the globe, okay? All right? doesn't matter which way it's facing, okay? You're looking down on the globe. Now, on our maps, we have reference points on the globe. We have lines that go from the North Pole, and they're long lines that go from the North Pole to the South Pole, and they're all around the globe. They start at zero, and they go up to what? 359.9, because then it turns back to zero, doesn't it? Okay, and what are those lines called? Longitude, right? Real long lines, that's how I remember it. There's also lines that go around the world, all the way up all, to the North Pole and all the way down. And they're flat. What are they called? Latitude is flatitude. That's how I remembered it in high school. All right? Okay? We have latitude and longitude. Now, that, that explains reference points on the, on the Earth. Okay? But if you took those lines and you gobbled them all up and you put your back to the Earth and flew them up into the sky, we have the same lines only they're not called longitude and latitude to describe the locations and points of the sky. They're called right ascension and declination. Okay, On Earth, it's longitude and latitude. In the sky, it's right ascension, which would be longitude, and it's declination, which would be latitude. Okay, So we have this pattern that we can map in the sky, and it starts at the north, near the, near the North Star, Polaris, and it goes all the way south. And that's how the, the ships of that time could navigate. We had a map, okay? Uh, through calculations of your latitude, you could figure out where you were um, and also of timing of different star patterns rising and setting. You could get a very precise location. You could still do it today if you knew how to do stellar navigation. You could still do it today. Okay, so I just wanted to let you know, we have a map for the Earth, you're probably f more familiar with, latitude and longitude, and we have a map for the sky, right ascension and declination, okay? So things could be mapped very precisely, okay? So I'll, I'll, I'll drop back into the, to the story now that you kind of understand, because uh, you may get lost a little bit, okay? So, um, so the navigational officer pinpoints the location of the SS Waramu. He reported to the captain that their position was zero degrees, 31 seconds north, and 179 degrees and 30 seconds due west. Now, what does that mean? If you're in an airplane and you leave Philadelphia and you go to, say, Apollo, Brazil, okay, you're going to be flying over several degrees of latitude, and you're, one of them is going to be zero degrees latitude as your plane is flying down south. What is zero degrees latitude? The equator is correct. Okay? All right, you're kind of getting it. Now I have another question for you. The navigational officer reported that they were at 179 degrees 30 seconds West longitude. What does that mean? Does that mean anything to you? 
they're, they're right, right. The prime meridian, Greenwich, England, all right, is zero. They're almost halfway around the world. Just a little bit more, they would be exactly halfway around the world. And they're almost halfway between the North Pole and the South Pole. We call it the equator. That's kind of unique, okay? It has, it has some meaning, and we're going to get to it, okay? The first mate casually told the captain... Uh, he noted that they were only a couple of miles away from where the equator meets the international dateline. At 180 degrees, that's the international dateline. Now, what does that mean? I'm not telling you now. You know, right? Let's see if you can figure it out as we talk some more. <clears throat> the captain understood the significance of this location and, and the possibility that was at hand, and he ordered the crew on deck to double and triple check the calculations of their position. And when they were confirmed and verified, he set a new course for the ship and a new speed. At midnight on December 31st, 1899, he ordered the ship to stop. And he said, once the ship stopped, we have arrived. The Captain, Captain Philip achieved what would be known as a navigational cue. The date when he set the course of the ship was December 31st, 1899, just east of the international dateline. When the ship stopped at midnight, it was positioned exactly where the international dateline intersected the equator. Amy, can you put that picture up for me? Maybe. All right, we'll see. The ship, the ship was positioned so that its front, or the bow, was in a southwesterly position. There we go, there. Okay, can you all see that? Can you see that? Okay. It was exactly on the equator and the international dateline. That's pretty cool. But what is the ramifications of that? The ship stopped, and here it was. It was at the intersection of two key points in our mapping system, but it was beyond just location. The SS Waramu found itself in an interesting spot. The bow of the ship was in the southern hemisphere, and the back of the ship, ship was in the northern hemisphere. Now, that's pretty cool. The ship was simultaneously in two different time zones because the international dateline separates one day from another day. The rear of the ship was in January 31st, 1899. And at the stroke of midnight, the front was in the year what? 1900, a new century, okay? So it's in two different hemispheres. It's in two different times. It's in two different months. It's in two different years. And it's in two different centuries, all at the same time. Is time travel possible? There it is. 
okay? Now, I found this story really, really interesting because I think it has some spiritual applications for us. Because the SS Warmu intersected this one point at the precise time it did, put it in a significant historical perspective. No other vessel could boast this, okay? Since then, you could be at this location, you could be there tonight if you would calculated it, but you could not be in two different centuries. This was the only boast that this boat could be in two centuries at one time. I think that's pretty amazing. So what's its application to us? Is it that you could be at the right spot at the right time? Well, that sounds like it might be a biblical application, but I want to take it a little further than that. Biblical intersectionality, what am I talking about? In 2024, I want us to understand something, okay? For you who claim Jesus Christ as true Lord, Master, and Savior, not just an idea, but a personal belief and a personal Savior of Jesus Christ. You are a true believer of Jesus Christ. You are in his family. I don't know where you are with that belief, so I'm not going to assume that this lesson applies to you. But if you put your personal faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, just like the scriptures tell you to, you are a child of his, and I hope that what I say will challenge you to want to live for him in 2024 like you've never lived before for him, okay? That's my desire and my goal. Just like the SS Waramu was at a specific point, at a specific time, and it put it in two hemispheres, two time zones, two, two years, two months, two days, two all that stuff, and two centuries, okay? Oh, it also was two seasons, too. Did I say that? It was winter in the northern and, and summer in the southern hemisphere, okay? So it, it was divided but it was still the same ship, still the same crew, and it was uniquely positioned. I want you, true believer, my brother, my sister, to understand that no matter where you are in life, no matter what is swirling around you, no matter what will happen tomorrow or next week or next month, or next year, you are uniquely positioned right now, and you have a dual citizenship at the same time, and you are present in two places at the same time. So let me talk you through some ideas of what I mean by biblical intersectionality, okay? All right? I'm going to read this to you. I don't know if this is up on the board or not. I don't know if, she, if it is, but uh, just hang with me if it's not. No, I'm reading, I'm reading this. It says, every true believer in Christ. Is that, that's not in the notes, is it? Okay, good. So you can listen, and you won't be distracted by reading it. So listen to me, and I'm going to pause. Nathan, do you have, do you have the scriptures there that you could click on them? Okay, because I know we just shuffled chairs back there a little bit. Okay. 
I'm going to read some things to you, and I want to, I'm going to pause every now and then. And the reason I do this is so that you can recognize and understand. We live life, and we'll wake up tomorrow after, like, you know, hooting and hollering tonight and, and bringing in the new year. We're going to wake up tomorrow and the next day and the next day, all right, God willing, all right, and we're going to do our stuff. And oftentimes we check out um, about who we really are just to get the stuff that needs to get done done whether it's work, whether it's taking care of the kids, whether it, whatever it is, you're going to do your stuff. And in 2024, I do not want you to go through your stuff and think that your stuff's okay. Don't check out, check in, and how you live and how you choose to identify as a believer is going to affect your spiritual growth in 2024. Every believer in Christ lives simultaneously, or intersects, if you will, in two realms. We have one foot anchored in eternity, John 15, 19, where Jesus said this, you are not of this world, I chose you out of this world. We have one foot anchored in eternity, while the other is moored in the temporal we live as slaves to Christ, yet we're freed from the wages of sin. Romans 6, 17, and 18. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient to, uh, from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We're no longer slaves of sin, but we are freed in Christ. We exist both as unable to guess our future. Do you know what you're doing tomorrow? You kind of have an idea, right? Can you definitely say you're going to do it tomorrow? You're planning on doing it tomorrow. But push comes to shove, none of us can say what we're going to do tomorrow, at least not with great detail. We're unable to guess the future. James 1, 22 and 20 to 25 will tell you that. Or, or we, we can't even, if you think about it, we can't even change our circumstances. We can make choices, and, we, and they have ramifications, both good and bad, but try to change your circumstances, and you're going to see it takes an act of God to do that. Yet we, so we can't change our circumstances, and we can't guess the future, but simultaneously we can be confident and fixed on our security in heaven forever. Romans 8, 24, and 25. Can you put that up for me? Welcome back, Amy. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. We can't change um, our circumstances, and we can't really predict our future but we do simultaneously have a hope that resides in us. We're secure forever in that hope. 
We currently live with the inability to control our future. Proverbs 27.1 says, Boast not on tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. Yet we also know, according to the Scriptures, that our future is already charted, fully rigged, supplied, and fully crewed. Revelation 21.22-27. I saw no temple in it, for this is talking about heaven. This is the end of the Bible. This is John writing down. And these are some of the last things we have recorded in the scriptures. This is our last glimpse from John of what heaven looks like. I saw no temple in heaven, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or of moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There is a book. It has names in it. Those names are the residents of heaven forever. Your name should be in that book. But in order to get in that book, you need to believe the book. And you need to understand that that book says you don't deserve to be in the book. But there is a way to get your name in the book. It's through faith in Jesus Christ, and your name will be in the book. Is your name in the book? If your name is in the book, all those other things that John saw in the future, they're ours because we will be there. That's the way it works. So that's our future. That's what is written in stone. That is what awaits us. That is the security of what we have. So while we live down here and we can't change our circumstances and we can't really predict the future, that's the truth. And that is ours now. We're just not there. Or are we? Not really. We're not like the USS Warmu in that where, you know, my leg is in heaven right now. No, it's not. But... We're going to talk about a couple of things that maybe, hopefully, will challenge you. Um, we live as desiring the responsibilities of God. We want to get it right. We should desire to please God. If we've put our faith in him, we should actually want to grow and learn and love him more and love each other more and do what he says. Believe what he has written down for us. Isn't that the essence of what it means to be a Christian? I mean, if I'm a Christian and I really just don't believe all of what God says, am I really, uh, like, you know, is, how can that be? I'm not really a Christian, am I? You know, I don't think so. That's not what, the, what it says in the Word. Jesus says, 
if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I love Jesus. I keep his commandments. I don't keep his commandments. I don't love Jesus. There's not a lot of wiggle room there, is there? And I want you to love Jesus, and I want you to keep his commandments. So we desire to live a Christian life, a believer's life, right? But we have this tug of war. Um, we, 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 we desire to please God. Ephesians 4, 1, 1 and 2 would, would tell us what that looks like. Yet knowing he can change our course. So we plan to live for him, and we plan to do good, and we want to map out our lives according to that, right? But then all of a sudden something changes, right? Okay? We get bad news. Something out of our control bad happens to us, okay? We live in that world. That is us. But the scriptures describe that to us. We plan our ways, but God directs our steps. That's Proverbs 16.9. We have one foot in planning what we do. We have one foot planted in God, erasing and scribbling out our lives and directing us where he wants us. That's life. That's what we do. And we let him do that. So we are literally in two different scenarios at the same time, just like the SS Waramu was in two different hemispheres at the same time. We plan, but God directs. So see, we have this intersectionality too where we are specifically placed here. You are here tonight, and it is not an accident. It's not, you didn't stumble in here, or you didn't say, oh, I plan to go there. God wants you here, and he has a specific thing for you tonight. So, listen. Your biblical intersectionality tonight can have ramifications that will change your life. I want you to love God more, and I want you to keep his commandments. And I want 2024 to be something that your growth in Christ just explodes. Is that an unreasonable expectation for me as an elder to have for you? If you come and you hang around Missy O'Day, should I expect you to be the same December 31st, 2024 as you are now? That's not an expectation that I have, nor is it one that God would have for you either. We exist simultaneously in a created condition. Look around you. What condition do you find yourself in? You happy with yourself? Some days, yeah. And then I look in the mirror and I'm not. It's true. All right? What's your condition? We, we live life. And there are things I'm not happy with about myself. You know? Um... It could be for you, it could be financial. It could be, it could be social status. It could be friendships. It could be, it, there are things that are conditionally happening around us all the time. We live in that. Our own sin still rears its ugly head just because I believe in Jesus and I love him and I want to keep his commandments doesn't mean I'm not still struggling to do good all the time and I don't choose him and I don't follow his commandments and then 
I find my condition in need of him more and more. So we, we exist in a created condition, and, and that created condition is docked right next to our eternal position. So down here, we're struggling. Down here, like, I mean, we're, we're fighting it, right? Things going the way you want 100%? No. 50%? Sometimes. 25%? Maybe on a good day, right? And it seems like we never quite arrive, right? There's always something we could do better. There's always something we need more of. There's always something that has to keep us going to the next thing. And if we don't get the next thing, we got to keep on going to the next thing. That's our condition. But our position in God, in Christ, is completely different than that. We're currently struggling through life, and 2 Corinthians 4.8 will tell us that. Um, but in God's economy... We're already present with him. This is a time thing that we can't understand. Um, let, me, uh, let me ask a question. Um, who created time? Where did that, or was it always a thing? God created time, right? He did. All right. How do we know that? Is there any Bible verse that says God created time? Just like that. Genesis 1, 1, right? In the beginning, time, right? God creates not only the earth, but God creates a time that the earth is in, right? Okay? So if God created time, what, does, what is time to God? Is it, anything, is it a thing that he needs to be constricted by? Absolutely not. He's outside of it. He said in the beginning, and time began. And then creation happened inside of that time. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that, but that's what happens. He lives outside of time, so time is no thing to him. Okay? It's not something that he is restricted by. Okay? So we, in his mind, can be anywhere we want and any time that we want. And right now, Ephesians 1.3 says that we are seated in the heavenly places. And other, elsewhere, uh, elsewhere in Ephesians, it ties that in to Christ. Okay? Because of Christ and his finished work, he is seated in heaven and we are seated right there with him. Now, how can that be? To a God who is outside of time, it is not, it is not a thing. It is the way it is. Okay? And while our minds might go, I have no idea what you're saying. Right now, if you are a true believer and your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, that book, all right, it's like we're already there. Now, we are living in time. We are restricted by that. But God sees the beginning from the end, and we can't. But yet, I have a foot planted here and now, and I have a foot planted forever. I want to tell you my name is in the Book of Life. I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, Master, and Savior, just like the Scriptures say. And that puts one foot here with you and one foot there seated in heaven with Jesus Christ. I'm in two places at once in God's economy. Do I live like that? Do I think like that all the time? What would be the ramifications if I actually understood and actually lived out of that? We'll talk about that in a minute. 
So we intersect two realms, earthly, heavenly. We intersect two seasons, just like the SS Warmu did. We intersect the winter of our fallenness, and that ties in with our condition. But we also intersect the springtime of our eternal communion with Christ. And I just described that to us. In God's economy, it's like I'm there already. And one other intersection that we, we cross at the same time, because of our condition here and living in the winter of fallenness, we struggle with the old person that we used to be before we let Christ into our heart. We keep wanting to run back in certain things. We have victories in certain areas and failures in other areas. We still want to go back, but we need to put on the new man. I am a new man in Christ. I'm a new person. I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a different operating manual. While I struggle with the old one, I also have a new one. So yes, we can be in two places at one time, and we can be in one time and two places in God's mind. That's biblical intersectionality. So what do we do with that? It's kind of mind-blowing if you think about it. Just like the, U- the SS Warhammer was in two different hemispheres, two different time zones, two, two different centuries, two different years, all of that at the same time just because of where it was. You are where you are, and you are those things if you're a true believer. So then the question becomes, what do you do with that kind of weird fact? Who are you? The second point I wanted to to, to talk about tonight is actually navigating your faith through 2024. You kind of see the boat theme going on here? Okay, so that's what I want to kind of have you grab. Okay, navigating your faith in Christ in 2024. Now, I want you to think about a boat, okay? A boat leaves Vancouver... Canada for Sydney, Australia, okay? What are some things that you're going to need to kind of like know or do or be or function as or expectations that you might have? So I I wrote down a, a few of them. Navigating your faith in Christ in 2024. First one is, who are you and whom does God say you are? Now, this is a profound question, even for a believer. Who are you? Okay? Now, my wife and I have been married for 40 years and six months, 10 days, eight, no, all right? Okay, we've been married for a long time. But yet there's times that I'm sure I do something and she says in her mind, maybe, maybe out loud, who are you? Where did that come from? Okay, but we as believers need to do that same thing. We need to take inventory Who are you? Have you ever thought about that? What makes up the real me? Is it what you see? Like, is John Gruber like, you know, just what you see? And, oh, you know, he's he's an old guy. He's an elder. He's cool. You know, he has funny stories, and he's just kind of a goofball and loves Jesus. You know, is that the real me? Or am I something different? Am I a secret axe murderer? No, no, I'm not. I don't like axes. I would choose a different tool. Anyway, um... But who am I? What, what are the components that make me up? Okay? Um, who are you? I remember when I was teaching um, we little kids in another church, 
Um, loved it. I love uh, uh, teaching kids is the greatest thing on earth, I think, unless you're in high school. High school teacher. I'm Brad, I'll get you off the hook on that. All right. Okay. But I love I love teaching children. And uh, the ministry that we had at the church, um, we had we had a leader involved, and and she would teach the young little tots about uh, about who they really were. She said she she described it as the real you. And that struck a chord with me because you know what? We can put on a facade, we can live certain things, and people think can think we are certain things. But in God's eyes, he sees you, he knows you, he puts you together in the womb, he knows you intimately, and he knows the real you. And that's what I want you to ponder tonight. The real you needs to interact with the real God. He wants you to love him and obey him. So in order for us to understand the real you, you're going to need to know what God says you are, who God describes you as, okay? This is a great topic for a community group Wednesday night, okay? Who are you according to God? That's much different than who you think you are and what others think of you because he knows everything about you. You are totally, utterly vulnerable in all your faults, and he wants to help you with each and every one of them. Just like you need to understand where you are in your life A ship needs to understand some things, too. And the captain of the ship needs to understand some things. And the passengers need to understand some things. So I want to talk about a a huge subject that I think can carry us through in thought in 2024. And that's the word identity. We talked about intersectionality. Now we're going to talk about identity. What identifies you as a believer of the Most High God? What are the things that you will say, yeah, you know what, I'm that, and I'm going to live like that. You know, a slave who sits on a throne is not a king. They're a slave. And a king who dresses in rags is still a king. Your identity matters, and you need to understand you live out of an identity. You do. Things inform that identity. And what you allow to influence who you are is what you turn into and what you look like. We have a true identity that has been given to us as believers in Christ, and we should live out of that identity. And that's what I wanted to speak to. Now, I'm going to put this in navigational terms for you, okay? Because it's a whole boat thing. It's a whole ship thing. It's a whole maritime thing tonight, all right? Okay, things smell fishy. It's because we're on the ocean. Okay, so here we go. Our identity in Christ, that's our safe harbor. How we live for God, we need to understand there are certain things that we identify with and certain things that we don't identify with. Okay, Um, first I wanted to throw this out there. You have to know where you are. We as believers need to take inventory. Where am I in my spiritual life? Where am I walking for God? Where am I not walking for God? All right, And you can answer that better than anybody 
Because you know yourself probably better than anybody, right? You know what? Like we have all the time. I don't know about you, but I have like this videotape that runs in my head. And it just keeps running and running and running and running. I, and, you know, it's just like over and over again. Like um, I know who I am. I know me better than anybody. And even at that, I don't see myself real clear, okay? So those things that you struggle with, all right, those things that, that you feel are in your way from loving God more, okay, you take inventory and you ask yourself, am I living out of my own strength and trying to deal with them? Or am I living as a child of the king? Am I living as a worldly person and trying to strive for things that go against God and get victory in this area or success in that area? Or am I humbly putting myself under the loving hand of God? Our identity is what we live out of. So you need to know where you are, your home port, okay? It's a place of safety sometimes, right? But we don't stay there as believers. God has set us to sail through life for his glory, for his purposes, so that we can get to our final destination, okay? So you need to know where you are. Take inventory. What are you struggling with? Why are you you doing what you are doing that is not pleasing to God? And I know every one of you struggles with that, all right? None of you have arrived, all right? I know too, too many of you too well. That to, to know that you would, you would boast to, uh, to say you got your act together, right? So, know where you are. The second thing is, know where you're going. How many times do you wake up in the morning and you have a list of things that you know you're going to do? I have a routine. I get up, 5.45, my alarm is set. And I rarely make it to my alarm going off. Today, 4.13, I was up. Yep keel over and start sleeping and snoring, you'll know why. All right? So I have my routine. I get up. I make my coffee. All right? Then I feed the cats. Because in my mind, humans are more important than pets. So I have my coffee made first. Now, while it's percolating and all that stuff through the coffee machine, I feed the cats. Okay? And I do that because I don't want them annoying me, like meowing at me, while I'm making my coffee. So it gets them occupied. See how, you know, we just have our routines, right? Okay, I sit down, I have three games I play to get my mind started. Um, I won't tell you what they are, but I do these things, and it gets my mind stimulated, and then, I, and then I go out my day. All right, I'll sit at the table, I'll eat my breakfast, I'll read the word, I'll do something, and then, boom, I go to work. I have a whole list of work. Okay, I come back, all right? Um, if I can't get a nap, then I have to do stuff around the house and chores and stuff. I got a honey-do list just like you, all the rest of you men do, all right? So, but... But we need to know where we're going. All of that stuff can get in the way, and we don't live for that stuff. We have a better way to live. Where are we going? If I lived like I was going to go to heaven to, to tonight or tomorrow or next week, if my destination is to be with the king forever and ever and ever, what do I do now? How do I live that out? Okay, the time that I have left, I need to redeem that. The time that I have left should not be about me. It should be about him. I'm going somewhere, and I'm going to live with Christ forever. I should be behaving and wanting to please him. So where I'm going should dictate. I should live my identity out of where I'm going, not where I've been. To get to where we're going, we need some things. All right, you think about a ship, okay? 
Um, if you had a ship at your command, okay, and uh, you said, ah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the Philippines today. I'm going to sail my boat from Atlantic City to the Philippines. What are some things you would need to know? Huh? How what? How to do that? Like how what? How? How to drive a boat. You need to know. You need to know your vessel, right? All right. You know you pushing buttons and you're steering things and stuff's not going where you need to, you need to know how, to, how to, the ship functions. What's something else you're going to need to know? You're leaving Atlantic City and you're going to the Philippines. Where's the Philippines? How do I get there? What am I going to need to tell me to get there? What? Google Maps. I'm in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. You know what? That, uh, what that, what's that thing that, that Elon Musk put up there in the sky? The Starlink. Starlink's not quite working yet in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean or wherever I am, you know, and I don't have Google Maps, all right? And I forgot to download it while I had a signal, so I can't even, right? Okay? We need, we need some navigational charts, don't we? We need some things to tell us because there's some things in the water that aren't too, aren't too conducive to you getting from point A to point B, okay? There's this little canal called the Panama Canal I'm going to want to go to. How do I get there? Yeah, just head south, right? Bumped into Mexico, bumped into Bahamas, bumped into Brazil. I had to turn around and go back. Then I hit Cuba. Why? Because I didn't have the right navigational charts. Okay? Now, the navigational charts tell you things. They tell you where you are. They have longitude and latitude on them so that you can do your calculations, know where you are on the map, but it also it lists obstacles, all right? It lists currents, Okay? You take that information, and then you're going to need to navigate the weather, right? Because you're, you're floating around in a big ocean, and all of a sudden, there's a little cloud on the horizon. Is it coming for you? Does it mean anything? I don't know. The weather's going to play an important factor, too. You need information. Now, going back to those navigational charts, how do we make those navigational charts? Well, back, way back when, somebody went before you and wrote down and drew and measured and, and did all of the work so that they could write it down, so that you could unroll your chart and see exactly where you are, right? That's what dictated how you got from Atlantic City to the Philippines way back when. Now we have satellites, we have Google Maps, we have everything, all right, to help us navigate. But all of that stuff exists because somebody already did it. Make sense? Okay? All right? We have the same thing. If we're going to heaven, we need to know how to get there, we put our faith in Jesus Christ, gets us into the kingdom, but God wants us to live a certain way. Where do we go? Where's our navigational chart? It's the Word of God. So in 2024, if you're going to grow in your spiritual walk, if you're going to please God by, by loving Him and keeping His commandments, you're going to need to know what the commandments are. Okay? If I asked you to list a dozen commandments that God wants you to live by, could you write them down? Do you know what they are? Well, that's the chart we're going to live by in 2024, and it's called the Word of God. So in 2024, you can expect good Bible teaching. You can expect topics that are going to help you and prepare you in men's group, in women's group, okay? You can expect your children to learn the Word of God in each and every class, just like we did this year, okay? These things are how we're going to navigate together through 2024, okay? 
just like the right ascension and declination were what were used by the navigator on the SS Waramu. He looked to the heavens to find out where he was so that he could map himself on the earth. Does that make sense? We do the same thing in our, in our, in our Christian life. We look to the word to see what the heavenly map looks like for us so that as we walk here and interact here, we can do it and know where we are and know where we're going. I want you to also know the cost of your boarding ticket. All right? If we're navigating to heaven in 2024, how much did it cost you to get on the ship? What's the cost to you? Now, we would say that salvation is free. It is a free gift. It is the gift of God so that we don't boast in ourselves. But the free gift was not free to God. The free gift cost something. What did it cost? Anybody want to take a stab at what the cost of our boarding pass to a life in Christ was? It was the blood of the lamb. Same lamb that my name is written in. It's his book. The, the blood of the lamb, the blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb of God. All right, 2 Corinthians 6, the last, last verse, I believe it's 31, says that you were bought with a price. That price was the life of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. That allowed salvation to occur. Okay, this is basic understanding of the scriptures, but that's the cost of navigating through 2024 to recognize that while we are free to walk in him, it costs Jesus everything. And that will help us to be identified and live out of an identity that we are not our own. We are bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that should encourage us. For when we stumble and fall and we reach back to the old man, when we want to be the new man, okay, that should encourage us. We're paid for. We're on the ship. We're going somewhere. Okay? Know your vessel. Uh, Mason said, how? how? How do you drive the boat? right? We need to know what this Christian life is. We need to know what we should be doing. So I, had, I asked the question, are you a passenger or are you a crewmate? You think about a ship, right? Okay. Think about a nice... Anybody been on a cruise ship? I have never been on a cruise ship. I've seen them, but I have never been on one. Anybody, anybody taking a cruise? Somebody has to have taken a cruise here. No? Yeah, your last name is Cruz. Cook, you've, he lives it. <laughs> all right, so you go, all right, think about a cruise ship. All right, maybe it's a dream of yours, all right? Cruise ship. Two kinds of people. I'm just going to make it simple. There's the people that work on and in the boat, and then there's the people that are passengers and enjoy the boat, right? Okay? The SS Waramu had passengers, and it had a crew. The crew made it so that the passengers could get from one point to the other, Right? So think about our Christian, our Christian life. Are we supposed to be passengers along for the ride or crewmates working hard 
on our journey? What are we supposed to be? What would the scriptures say that we should be? We should be crew. There's, there's no passengers. We're all crew, right? We're, the, the, the New Testament would describe us as a family, um, as a flock, as a body, right? These are all things that function together. We're all crewmates. But unfortunately, some of us probably need a spiritual kick in the rear end so that we're not just going along. We're functioning to help on our journey. Does that make sense? Okay? So you can expect in 2024 that we're not going to let up and say, we've arrived. Get out the deck chairs. Can I have another pina colada? No. No. I I was going to spout out some, like, things that a captain would say, you know, to a crew, but... All I can think of is all hands on deck because I've watched too many World War II movies. So. But we're supposed to be crewmates, not passengers. Okay? Um, and lastly here, I have, um, you need to know your destination well. When you, when you get to Sydney, Australia from Vancouver, Canada, all right, what are your expectations? I remember we took a trip, my wife and I, there was a total solar eclipse that was going to... The moon was going to cast its shadow. All right, blocked by the sun, goes right across the island of Aruba. Oh, my wife thought it was romantic. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world because I, I loved astronomy. I love astronomy. I still do, right? Took my telescopes down there. We flew down there and everything like that. I knew nothing about Aruba. I knew there was a little island. It was way far south and that there was going to be a total solar eclipse, and that was good enough for me, all right? Our plane starts to land. Anybody ever been to Aruba? All right, the plane comes down, all right? And I'm looking out the window, and I see all these white caps on the ocean below me. And the plane's coming down, and I'm telling you, man, it was the roughest ride I've ever had in a plane. It was up, it was down. My stomach was up, my stomach was down, all right? And it was less like, what in the world is going on? Now we're coming down lower and 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 lower, and the motion's getting closer and closer and closer and closer. I felt like I could hear the, the white caps on the ocean, and all of a sudden, we are over top of a runway, the plane comes to a screeching halt, and then everybody's milling around, gritting, grabbing their bags, and they open the front door of the plane so we can get off, all right? And this hot air came into the plane and sucked out my life. I was not ready for the fact that Aruba is not a tropical island. It is a desert island, Okay? I mean, think of the desert southwest. There's scrub trees, and that's Aruba. And the wind is constant. They call it the gentle trade winds. It isn't, there's nothing gentle about it. Ladies had hats on, and they walked off the plane, and guess what happened to their hat? They had no more hat. It was gone. I'm telling you, it was like, it was like somebody had a string and just yanked it right off the top of their head, and it was like, whew, gone. It was, we, I had no idea what Aruba was. Secondly, the airport was so small, the plane landed, and we had to go down those step things onto the tarmac and cross a half a mile just to get into the terminal, and I wasn't expecting that either. There was nothing about Aruba that I knew that, that was familiar, all right? And I was not prepared for it. Are you prepared 
to live forever in the presence of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Are you prepared to see those things that John wrote down in Revelation? Do you know where you're going? Do you know what lies ahead for you? And if you did, it should affect you now. Your intersectionality now should be something that is lived out because you know the destination. Do I live like I am going to see Jesus forever? I got to tell you, I need help because I don't. And you do too. And that's why we need to be crewmates. That's why we don't, we don't need passengers. We need engagement. We need help. We need to help each other. So know your destination. Live as a citizen of your final destination. So this is the final response of the year. Y'all did really well. I don't, think, I don't think more than five of you fell asleep tonight, and that's awesome, okay? Um, so here's my response. This is what I want you to ponder as we head into a new year. You have an identity that you live out of. What identity do you choose for 2024? Do you choose to live out of your current condition, or do you choose to live out of your position that God has already put you in. Remember we talked about having one foot here and one foot in heaven? Our condition is what it is here, but God's economy places us at his right hand in Jesus Christ. We're already there. My name is already in the book, Lamb's Book of Life. It's already there. How should I live? Should I choose to be part of this world or should I live as a king in rags, yet a king nonetheless? 2024, let's not do things like we did this year. Let's move forward knowing full well that we are going to live forever, that we are not slaves to sin, but we are slaves to Jesus Christ and we're free from sin. Let us live not like we have to go through the drudgeries and the hardships that we're in, but let us live like we are sitting at the right hand of Jesus Christ in heaven as we speak. Let us live in the fallenness of this winter, but let us live as if spring abounds in our hearts. How we identify in Christ is how we're going to live in 2024. I expect none of you who I know who love Jesus to go backwards. It's not an option. We are crewmates. We have each other's back. We can grow in Christ. We can have the challenges that are set before us in, in God's sovereign understanding. We can go through them together. Some of you need to respond. Some of you need to shed the identity of condition and live in an identity of your position in Christ. We're going to talk more about that in 2024. We're going to talk more about that as we teach, as we understand what God would have us to do. Okay? So I'm encouraged. I am thankful for you who have been faithful in encouraging my heart through 2023. We've done a lot. If you think about all of the ministry that we have been able to do as a little church, to each other, 
to a community for the glory of God, it's astounding. If you think of all the things that God has allowed us to do, all the new faces, the little baby new faces that God has brought to us, and all of the interactions that he has allowed us to have, it is a blessing to us. I'm going to leave you with this final word from the USS Topeka. Anybody ever seen the USS Topeka? Its keel was laid down in 19, uh, was it 1986, I think, okay? And it was launched in 1988, it's at the sea. Now it's a submarine, all right? So it's a little different than the SS Warrimoo, because if you don't know, submarines go underneath the water. They can go float on top, but they go underneath the water. They're pretty cool, all right? They're amazing, amazing things. It's an LA-class submarine. Um, it used to shoot off Tomahawk missiles, nothing nuclear, still pretty deadly, and it was feared. <clears throat> On December 31st in 1999, it found itself directly underneath where the SS Waramu was 100, and 100 years before. It was on the bottom of the ocean, and it got there because it navigated there using the most modern techniques available. So this is the only vessel that can boast itself to be in two seasons, two time zones, two hemispheres, two days, two months, two years, two centuries, and in two millennia at the same time. It's pretty astounding. It added one more little level there. Now, this can't happen for another 977 years, okay? So here's my point, all right? I'm not going to be here to see if any other vessel remembers that the USS Topeka did this cool thing. I'm not going to care, okay? Things progress. 100 years go by. 50 years go by. A year goes by. And what we do is we wait until something changes and we say, then I'll live for God. Then I'll love Jesus more. Then I'll be more involved in ministry. Okay? When my kids are older, I will serve God more. When I get a better job and my finances are secure, I will give to the work of the Lord then. All of these things are not the way we should think. They're living out of, the, of an identity of condition and not out of an identity of position. There are things you need to do this year. There are things you need to grow up in Christ in this year. That's how we need to navigate through 2024. We will rely on his word. We will rely on his ways. We will expect each other at Missio Day to love God and obey his commandments, okay? So that's my pep talk, all right? We went back in time to understand that we live here and now, but we also live in eternity. And I pray that that would help us through our upcoming year. I'm gonna pray for us now, um, and then uh, you can go have a happy new year, 
All right? We're going to do a song, right? Okay. As Nathan comes forward, I'm going to pray. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that we can use historical things to kind of help our hearts understand. We live oftentimes blind to your blessings and blind to what we actually should be doing for your honor and for your glory. And oftentimes we think we are a certain way when you would understand us to need to be more. So, Father, I pray that as we close out this year and we look forward to next year, that you would help us. And um, I know we've said it before and we say it every year. I pray that, that 365 days from now, everyone that is in this room who proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will look more like the image of Christ to you and to the others who are around them. And Father, in this room right now, there might be somebody that doesn't understand that. There may be someone who has never put their faith in Jesus. And as simple as it is, it may be simply lost for them. So Father, I pray if anyone finds their situation to be that they don't believe in you, I pray, Spirit, that now you would impress upon them that they need to do something. They need to identify with you. They need their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. I pray they wouldn't leave tonight until that's settled. So, Father, I pray if there's any person here that doesn't believe in you, that this moment would be their intersection with you, that you would write their name in your book. Father, guide us and help us. As we sing now, may we do it for your honor and for your glory. I thank you for the blessings of 2023, and I look forward to all you will do in this upcoming year. And I pray your blessing upon Miss Day and upon my friends and family. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.